Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. It's noisy in here, but we don't care. No, uh, this is part of it. Uh, there are fans going. One fan. There are windows open because we are in a good old-fashioned heat wave in this part of the world. It's actually a new-fashioned heat wave. We're apparently going to make some uh, hit some record highs in, in Canada. Maybe we are approaching Salonian summer ourselves. Oh, man. What are we going to mutate into, I wonder? Um, <laughs> who knows? Once it hits like 36 degrees. It's good that it's not just us. Like our friends in Seattle mm-hmm. are like experiencing a hell of a heat wave, like 107 degrees Fahrenheit, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. 40 something. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's going to get really hot next week. So we thought, why not? It's the hottest day of the year so far. Let's stay indoors and watch two episodes of Doctor Who <laughs> in the Mutants episodes three and four. I have no idea what's going on at this point, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, what's going on in the story? Like, you have no what. Uh... Yeah, well, I mean, I still understand the the basics of what was happening before, but boy, they threw us some curveballs in these episodes with the uh, Salonian planet and the radiation, and I'm still not clear on, like, the doctor said, oh, so that's why the Time Lords sent me here, and I, I have yet to figure out why, uh, but he said it in response to the Thesium mine or whatever, and yeah. then he goes in there, and then, but then he picks up a crystal for some reason, uh, uh-huh. and he doesn't seem to know what it does. So I'm still not understanding that line about the doctor saying, Oh, so that's why they sent me here. Um, and Normie. okay. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, to Normie, because okay. I'm sure this will pay off at some point. Mm. If not. Okay. Well, maybe that was a, mm. an artifact of an earlier version of the script or something. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, yeah. And so I, I don't understand. I don't quite understand the, you know, it's like the doctor's jumping from A to D. D without necessarily going through B and C mm. his his I don't really understand I mean I guess I understand why he sticks around and doesn't go with Joe right. because he thinks it's dangerous and he wants to make sure she gets out uh, but at the same time like how is she any safer anywhere else because she's obviously the marshal who's in charge tried to kill them um, but anyway so he gets rid of her that's fine keep her safe uh but then he's like okay you have to show me these caves makes sense that is the best set that i have ever seen <laughs> which one the, the location caves or the yeah. cso set the the cso okay. ca- well the cave cso set right mm-hmm. yeah so cso it's trippy as heck yeah. and people complain about cso like that i'm i am a staunch supporter of underworld yep. and i love these sequences in the mutants on uh recent episodes of radio free scarrow or future episodes i can't remember for patreon <laughs> it's recent uh for regular feed it's future we talk a lot about barry letts and his uh what some would call overuse of color separation overlay i say no because he's helping to push the technology forward and it's that philosophy that i think you know puts this kind of thing i think because it looks so trippy that i don't even mind the obvious fringing because it's like it's radiation glowing off them right yeah i genuinely thought that they were playing up the fringing because Mm -hmm. it really looks like it makes it trippier it makes it look like they're glowing like you know they're and they're they're also moving slowly mm-hmm. on purpose so i just to me it was all of a piece this is like the best use of cso that we have seen maybe ever in doctor who honestly like i feel like this is the this is the greatest because it's supposed to be weird it's supposed to be bright it's supposed to be fringy mm-hmm. it's supposed to be trippy um but i don't understand exactly what the doctor was hoping to find i mean maybe he was just going to go and see what he found but then there's a weird figure holding the crystal yeah. and he just goes right up and takes it 
and walks away and puts it in his pocket. I just, I don't understand the thought process sort of behind all of that. Um, maybe it's just the doctor doing whatever feels right at the time. And, you know, that's like, that's a more Troutony move uh-huh. than a Pertwee doctor move. And we've had some, like in these two episodes, we had some very smug Pertwee moments. Like, you know, who said I was in, er, from Earth or yeah. maybe a man wouldn't or what, you know, those those sorts of things. But the uh, sort of just bumbling in and just... Well, I guess I'll just do this. That felt very second doctor to me. Like, I'm just going to wander in and I'm going to pick this thing up. And yet he had like that third doctor. I am very much. This is my goal here. It, it reminded me of like, you know, sometimes I play video games and uh, like, like some sort of like fetch quest or something like that. But and then I get there close to it. I'm not sure what I'm doing here. But then the little help dialogue <laughs> pops up in the bottom of the screen. I think and that's good because I I kind of drifted in and out during the cutscene explaining all this. Mm-hmm. And I'm i was just hoping that I would just follow the prompts. And the little yellow eye pops up on this on the little uh, the mini map in the bottom left corner and says I'll just follow that and pick up the thing and then go off to the thing. And I feel like that's what the doctor's done here. He's followed that little mini map, mm-hmm. gone to take the thing from the thing, even though he doesn't know what it is, uh-huh. and then left. Just the idea that taking the thing from the thing is the thing to do is that's the weirdest part for me. But <laughs> yeah. sure, whatever. And then they, so then they take it back yep. to the place that is falling, literally falling apart <clears throat> to just stare at it some more mm-hmm. and run the radiation equipment over it. And it doesn't have any radiation. So what the heck is going on? And I don't know. So like that's the part that I am baffled by and I don't know what's happening everything else seems to make pretty good sense yeah it's a story about uh global warming Mm -hmm. and climate change and colonialism Mm -hmm. uh boy oh boy it's not like doctor who has never been political or anything (laughs) like that this with the residential school uh discoveries in canada and of course climate change in the midst of an unprecedented heat wave Mm -hmm. all of a sudden the mutants has become the most timely episode of doctor who ever made almost 50 years after its original broadcast that is really, really sad. And quite something that Doctor Who can be as timeless yes. at this. You know, it's intended to be an allegory about South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as John Hollis, by the way, who plays Sondergaard, mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk a little bit about him later, but he, he's not South African, but he puts on sort of a South African accent mm-hmm. to continue the mm-hmm. allegory of South Africa here, being someone who's gone there to sort of like, you know, research the local culture and stuff and got mm-hmm. cast out as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's all a very blatant thing about apartheid. Um, but everyone probably at the time thinking, ooh, spooky monsters. And spaceships and stuff. And spaceships and stuff and microphones and everything else. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, I'm really enjoying this story. There's There are so many pieces to it. It almost feels like it shouldn't work because it's just so loaded down with bits and bobs and twists and turns. But mm-hmm. honestly, like it just it's making it a really engaging story that I just want to keep watching and see what happens next. I mean... Sometimes, like I'm thinking of other six parters, and sometimes they don't have enough interesting ideas mm. to really support six parts. Whereas this, I feel like, actually is it uh, it carries its weight. Yeah, I've said this often on this podcast, and I shall continue to do so until the end of the John Pertwee era. But the way they made the show back in those days, as I keep reiterating. Uh, but I always find it fascinating is that they made them basically two episode chunks, episodes one and two they made together, and then episodes three and four, and then five and six. And so basically they could, they fashioned the writing of the episodes around that. So if they wanted to have like whole new sets in it, mm-hmm. they would put it like in two episode chunks and stuff like that. It, it actually in 
attacks the um the dramatic structure of John Pertwee's six part stories. It's not like Tom Baker ones or Hartnell ones or anything like that. So this one was you could tell that the main set was the um uh Sondergaard set and then the Warrior set as well. And um I don't know what's going with that. I just wanted to make mention of that. <laughs> Good work. Are you distracted by the fact that I keep looking at the audacity? It just looks really... Are, is it really picking up the right mic? Yes. Okay. Just making sure. Lazy Doctor Who, people, we don't edit. We we don't edit. See? Look at that. Look at that. It's right there. <laughs> okay. It's very thing. I'll boost it in post-production. Don't worry. That's, that's the only non-lazy <laughs> thing I'll do. But yes, I was distracted by that. What was I talking about? Um, you were talking about the set. Sets and how it just feels different watching a six-part Pertwee uh, story mm-hmm. because it's not like they're... Well, they are dragging it out a little bit, I suppose, but there are there are certain things. The, the middle two parts here are obviously about the discovery of the mystery about Kai and the, and the tablets and everything. And now, no spoilers, but you can see that they're setting up that they're going to turn to Sky Base uh, because they want to use Professor Jaeger's laboratory to find out more about those tablets. I disagree. I don't think they are dragging it out. No. I think they are spooling it out. Nice. Mm-hmm. I say dragging because he was, oh, mm-hmm. what do you want? Six, six part episodes, too long. Nope. No. But this this one is not, this one doesn't feel too long because it's got, like I said, it's got enough to, to sort of hold up its its weight. So I I was fascinated to see all of the, the, the turns and stuff. And, you know, yeah. the idea that they are actually, they are supposed to mutate in some uh-huh. fashion, that, but that it's being thrown off by the weather experiments and stuff. That's really interesting. It ha- it has, well, I was going to say it has a little bit of a, um, why am I blanking? A little bit of a full circle feel, but ah, yeah, full yeah. circle has a little bit of a mutants feel, I guess, technically. That could be it. Andrew Smith was probably like 10 <laughs> when this first aired, maybe something like that. I just want to defend six-part stories again because mm-hmm. so many times I've heard people say about like Netflix shows, but like uh, it takes about three or four episodes or hours to get going, but then it starts to get good in the middle. I think that's exactly what a Doctor Who is, except it wasn't intended to be watched binge-watching style mm-hmm. once a week or two times uh, in a sitting as we have done today. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm defending classic Doctor Who. It's not as slow as you think it is. It was never intended to be watched in one sitting, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, actually, I was I was thinking about that because I I am very interested to listen to the Verity episode about this story. Oh yeah, um, and I think Deb, at least I don't think had seen it before, and probably just watched it all in one sitting. And I'm interested to see like what she thought of it watching it for the first time because me watching it for the first time doled out in mm-hmm. generally just one episode. This, the only reason we kept watching today, like I really wanted to keep stretching this out. But I also wanted to keep watching yeah. it, so I was just like, screw it, let's just watch one more episode. And it was fun. Mm-hmm. We we don't usually do three in episodes in one go anymore. No. We just we like to talk about two at a time. Um what else is it gonna say? Do you have anything else that's gonna make an actor mention? Oh, I was gonna make another mention actually. Remember I said last episode about there was a scene in in some future episode of The Mutants that at the time when I first watched it I thought this is a bit dumb. Oh. I, do you remember me saying I, that? I remember you saying that. Was it in here? It was in this episode. It was what? for some reason it was the one where the camera zooms in on Varen's face and he thinks he's hearing like oh. uh, uh, go to the light or something like that. And I remember at the time I think that's a bit silly. <laughs> that's like as much as I was disappointed by Classic Who my first time round. Finally, one episode halfway through the mutants, which I wasn't quite into the first viewing, and I go, hmm, it's a bit silly. That was it. I mean, I. I actually kind of agree, 
because yeah. I feel like in, you know, if this was a novelization, maybe it doesn't in the novelization, if this was a book or something like that, it we probably there wouldn't be a voiceover. There wouldn't be an actual voice no. saying the words "go to the cave." It would be a description of Varen feeling drawn to the caves mm-hmm. and feeling drawn to that one chamber. And you know, and maybe he still speaks out loud and says, "No, I will not." You know, go to sleep and and die or whatever. Um, but there's not really a great way to demonstrate that without having somebody there for him to talk to and explain how he's feeling. Mm-hmm. And he's not exactly the kind of guy to sit around and talk about his feelings, even though there is that old guy there. So it's a shortcut to just sort of, you know, the voiceover is telling us what he's feeling. And it's maybe not the smoothest or most elegant thing in the no. world, but it gets the point across and I'm fine with it. Honestly, I think at the time uh, it was mostly for me, the fact that it was on this um, studio set. <laughs> Because even then, as like a 14-year-old, I think it was when I first saw this, it was like, oh, in studio for an outdoor location. No, that was that was when I was disappointed by Doctor Who. It, it was jarring to me, yeah. too, even. I have no problem switching between, you know, the, the caves and, and film and stuff and the the sets Mm -hmm. for the indoor spaces and like the space station and stuff. But yeah, when it's supposed to be the same on the planet and it's very clearly on a set that it was, it was jarring even to me. Yeah. Tucked in the corner of BBC television center, Mm -hmm. studio eight just feels, it just looked like it was. And it probably was. There's some really good location shooting in this. Like, you know, the caves. Mm-hmm. The cave system looks great. I would, I, I want to visit those caves. I don't because probably get claustrophobic. Oh, you, do you like uh, spelunking? No, actually, I do get claustrophobic in caves, but I don't care. I want to go anyway. I got, uh, I thought I'd be claustrophobic in the Great Pyramid of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And I went in anyway. Mm-hmm. Four feet high, the passageway to wow. the center of that thing. And, and let me tell you, it was a good deal hotter inside <laughs> Than it is here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada today. But that's a dry heat. No, it was humid. In really? the pyramid, it was very humid. Oh, wow. Because there's no air movement at all, hardly. So oh, it was goodness. like, it was super humid. I can only stand a few m- minutes in there before it says, okay, that was great. Inside a pyramid, out we go. <laughs> yep. Wow. Good for you. Thank you. Um, and probably a little less human than BBC Television Center uh, Studio Eight. Um, yeah, no, the the caves look really great. I like the way they light them. I like the the creatures, the mutants, as designed by. I think this is his first Doctor Who, John Friedlander, who would go on to design a lot of different creatures and masks, including Davros's mask in Genesis of the Daleks. It's the only one I can comes to mind right now. Um, I think he did the, the Draconians too. Actually, um, I thought they're really good. I think they're pretty great. the the whole The whole design they look very alien, I suppose, or non human. I, I I agree. I think they're neat looking. The one thing that seemed very a, a little silly to me at first uh, is the fact that you know they, they start getting these spiky things growing out of their back. That's one of the earlier or mid stages. Yeah, that that part's cool. Um, but the, the fact that they have their cloaks and their cloaks have holes through them where those like have poked out, but. In reality, the only way that the that they would have like poked through the holes 
like that would be if they were rubbing their backs like up against the ground or a wall or something mm-hmm. like that. If they were just resting on top of that, they would poke through unless mm-hmm. uh, unless they themselves are somewhat radioactive and are actually burning through the cloaks. Ooh. So that's sort of my headcanon is that there is some actual like inherent radioactivity in them as they are mutating. And that is what is causing their back spikes to burn through the cloak. I accept this headcanon. Okay. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. why not? You can't really show that mm-hmm. on multicam studio tape, uh, videotape uh, drama. So, yeah. Okay. We'll go with that. And also, like, you know, the the as you said, the monster design is very yeah. cool. And if they are wearing their proper costumes, which are capes, they're covering that up. And, like, you know, that that's not going to make anybody happy. So No. Because you just look like they're just guys wearing capes, mm-hmm. you know, with maybe a little yep. bit of um, dirt on their face or something on their hands. And that's the only thing you can sort of tell that, oh, they're mutating. Which, honestly, like, I would have thought that would have been a cost-saving measure to just be like, okay, we don't need to do all yeah. of the makeup for all of these guys or the back prosthetics mm-hmm. because we could just throw cloaks over them but no 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 they're going a lot in this story they don't they don't sp- it's funny i i was i've been watching the um uh, behind the sofas that they do on the blu-rays the new blu-rays now mm-hmm. and the season eight blu-ray and uh, i think it was janet fielding and sarah sutton who were watching the um some uh, probably the mind of evil or something and they're all going or maybe it was even Graham Harper. I can't remember, but and it was Graham Harper who's talking about it, and he's going, "Look at that! Like, like all the location footage and the explosions, and there's a helicopter all of a sudden. It's like, look at the money they had back in the '70s." And Graham Harper's going, "We didn't have this money in the 1980s." And I feel like this extensive shoot in the caves and all these explosions outside. It's like Doctor Who looks proper. Mm-hmm. "Quote unquote big budget back in those days, you know." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking of the uh, the explosions as well, and all like the the smoke effects yeah. in the caves, and yeah, big location footage, except for the few scenes we mentioned. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's a proper proper interesting story. This one, mm-hmm. I'm, gl- I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm enjoying it a lot more than I pay attention to. I think I'm I always sort of let my first uh, impression of the story, which as I mentioned, mm-hmm. wasn't as high as other ones at the time uh, sort of cloud my judgment I think over the years and I've really begun to appreciate it and what it says Mm -hmm. and how relevant today it is Mm -hmm. uh, a lot more yeah the mutants is really jumping up in my book thanks to uh, watching it for lazy doctor who yep I think it's I think it's great it's I'm still really depressed by how prescient and Mm. also still appropriate it is um, because that's just a very sad thing yeah, we think that the British colonial past ended with them them leaving the colonies in Africa, but uh, alas, we were a colony too. Yep, and then we inflicted our colonial nightmare on many undeserving people. We did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to end it on that note, though, because no. I didn't mention John Hollis. Did you recognize John Hollis at all, who played Sondergaard, the bald-headed John Hollis? You know, he looked familiar to me, but I don't know if I knew him from anywhere. Well, he was in an episode of Blake 7. <laughs> Sure. Because everyone was at this time. <laughs> uh, no, you might write, you, uh, it, you wouldn't hear him speak in his other role that I'm going to mention here, but and nor would you have seen his ears because he wore like this weird headpiece around his head. Lobot. Lobot. <laughs> Lobot from The Empire Strikes Back. The dude, is that. I, I only am putting it together now because I remember hearing you and Warren specifically talk about Lobot, Lobot in being in a Doctor Who story. And now I'm like, okay, yep, that's it. Yep. Yeah. 
so where who is Lobot? <laughs> Lobot is basically Lando Calrissian's like personal assistant right, on okay. the Cloud City of uh, Bespin, where he's like you know pointing and stuff. Never speaks. Had a deleted scene, much like um, Garrick Hagen <laughs> in Star Wars. So I, unless there's somebody who is in Return of the Terry Walsh has written Return of the Jedi um, as a stuntman. Every stuntman in Britain was in in Return of the Jedi. Um, then we could have the full original trilogy being, trilogy being represented in here. But I don't think so. I don't. Mm-hmm. Apart from Terry Walsh, I think that's the last of the Star Wars connections. Didn't Terry Walsh? Did he? Was he the one that fell down or got shot or something? Or was it Stuart fell? In this episode, yes. it was Terry Walsh. That was Terry. So he had a line. I suppose he did, didn't he? Mm-hmm. But I don't know what he played in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. He, he probably would not have had a line in Star Wars. No, he was probably stuck behind a Stormtrooper costume or something like that. If he did a backflip and he was a Stormtrooper, that was Stuart Fell, but he wasn't in this episode. So. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say about the Mutants episodes three and four? No, I just I just am still really liking it. Good. Uh, oh, then I'll use this opportunity to plug the next episode of Radio Free Scarrow. If you enjoy both of us on this podcast, <laughs> That's right. enjoy. <laughs> she's already forgotten and recorded this morning. <laughs> Hear us on episode 804 of Radio Free Scarrow coming out Sunday, June 27th, because you're on that. I am. I woke up early to be on an episode of Radio Free Scarrow. He's putting, he's putting quote fingers up, but whatever. I, if I have to set an alarm to make sure that I'm awake, that counts as early. Yeah, it was fun having you on that podcast. It was really fun doing it. Yeah. It was it was nice. It was nice to talk to Warren, too. I hadn't talked to him for a while. Mm-hmm. So listen to that and listen to the next episode of this podcast, Lazy Doctor Who, on the Incomparable Network. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>